Hello, welcome back to the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast, where we look at metrics that 90% of people don't look at to help you win your fantasy football leagues. I'm Akash, you can find me on Twitter at YZR underscore fantasy. And I'm Ian, and you can find me at Dynasty underscore IM on Twitter. We had a crazy week, so let's uh, get right into it. We had 66 record-breaking field goals, we had longest play in NFL history on that kick six, but we're here to talk fantasy football, so let's start it off with the Carolina game. Sam Darnold is playing well right now. He's not playing poorly, but he isn't playing out of his mind, which makes me hesitant to throw out the three years of being bad in New York. He's 12th in completion percentage over expected right now and 11th in PFF passing grade. And I I really do want to see more because after years of playing badly in New York, I'm not suddenly going to anoint him as some sneaky mobile pass uh QB who's passing all of here all over the field the volume is good though it's lending itself to good fantasy football success cmc went down during the game hopefully won't miss too much time he stays off ir so hopefully only misses two to three games chuba hubbard saw 50 percent of the snaps compared to royce freeman at 19 percent so chuba is going to be the guy while christian mccaffrey's out he also chuba also had a 15 percent target share which gives him a solid floor week to week i would feel comfortable starting him as a as an rb2 and dj moore remains the alpha at 36 percent target share while robbie anderson and Terrace Marshall Jr. continue to fight for scraps. Oh, had only like four targets and one target, respectively. Yeah, Robbie Anderson's kind of probably someone you want to start looking to get out from underneath because just week-to-week trends, his age, and the fact that Terrace Marshall's seems to be on the come-up, it's probably a situation that you should probably get anything for. Um, as for Houston, this was Davis Mills' first game, and it wasn't exactly great. And it wasn't great for anyone on the offense not named Brandon Cooks because when you only throw the ball 28 times and you're Brandon Cooks and you can snag over 40% of that, then you're probably going to have a good fantasy day. But that's really about it because if he's eating that much, no one else is really doing much. And when it comes to rushing, I mean, Ingram, Mark Ingram's still dominating the usage, but that's not really worth much. It's an offense that's not scoring and he's not exactly taking receptions. He's got under a 5% target share on the year, which just isn't going to win games and you're on a bad offense. So it's cool that he's old and he's taken over a backfield, but it's also not going to be anything fantasy worthy, which kind of makes Philip Lindsay really nothing. And David Johnson, who's got the highest target share that the three he's still under a 10 percent target share so when that's all you're good for um brandon cooks is really only only option on this uh gross houston offense yeah for one of the running backs to really become viable it, it would need an injury to one of them if someone not named david johnson was to get injured it would probably lead to more rushing opportunities for david johnson who i believe only had a couple carries in this last game so if, if he had a, so a bit more rushing opportunities combined with his target share he could be a weekly desperate start at running back but for now you don't want to really start anyone but if Lindsay or ingram was to get hurt david johnson would probably get into conversation of rb3s yeah and that's why you hold on to the ingram shares or the johnson shares just in case they're ever worth that second round pick at some point moving on to the uh washington football team game taylor heineke Played well in prime time last week, but he kind of came back to earth. He had around negative five completion percentage over expected. Uh, this game, he threw, had a couple bad interceptions. One interception where he just threw it into the teeth of the defense while they were in the uh, while they were on their own red zone, and the offense suffered as, as a result of his bad day, bad rushing day for Antonio Gibson. But he saved his day with a long screen touchdown, and it was only a, one of his. I believe two targets he's not really doing a lot in the receiving game and the team really abandoned the run midway through the second half and only started to run again to kill the clock when they have like a five percent chance of winning and then terry mclaurin definitely some better days ahead he had a fine day but he still had a 28 percent target share after 32 percent target share last week he's still the alpha and expect better days for him ahead diami brown I was excited for him in the first couple of weeks when he was earning snaps and had a decent target share, but he played the second most snaps among amongst wide receivers on the team, but he's basically a walking shrug emoji at this point because he's not earning targets. So I really want to see what Curtis Samuel can do in this offense when he comes back because he has that dynam- dynamism to be a wide receiver two or three in this offense. 
maybe with better QB play, probably has this uh, probably barely startable with if the QB play continues to be poor. But Diamond Brown, if, if he's a guy that you can re-roll for a second, you drafted him probably in the late second, early third. But if you can trade him for a second because someone's excited about him getting on the field and getting snaps, you maybe look into it because he's not our tar- targets as of, as of now. Yeah, and like you said, Curtis Samuel's coming back at some point. So are all those snaps going to be there forever for Diami? We don't know. And he hasn't exactly been productive, I would say, in the three weeks that he's gotten all those snaps. But on the opposite side of the blowout, uh, Buffalo was pretty good. Josh Allen uh, showed again that... His rushing upside plus when they're going to throw the ball so much, he's going to be he's going to be worth a lot. And even in one quarterback leagues, he's still winning some teams leagues. So uh, Josh Allen's still really good this year. Um, the backfield just isn't going to be fantastic, especially when like Moss gets back in here and it's more of a split because it is an offense that's passing so much that those rushing shares aren't worth as much. And when both these guys aren't exactly receiving backs, Singletary more so than Moss, I will say. But when they aren't exactly receiving backs, it's definitely not a sexy option to have. And then Gabriel Davis, man, he's... For those off-season fanatics of Gabriel Davis, it's kind of fell off very hard. Um, He's behind a lot of people. Just on the season, I can name... Stephon Diggs, Beasley, Sanders, Knox, Singletary, and Moss will all have higher target shares than what Gabriel Davis has right now. And two of those people are 30-plus and Sanders and Beasley, who are the second and third options on this team. Akash said it last week that I'm pretty sure he said, you should start Emmanuel Sanders. He's going to have two touchdowns and go off for you. So he definitely nailed that one. Yeah. Um, I was I was uh, definitely on the money. I wasn't that on the money with that exact call, but I did say Emmanuel Sanders had a good percentage of the air yards and a good percentage of the targets, and he's going to go off one week, and someone's going to be wondering where he came from because they basically forgot about him in their victory laps of Gabriel Davis. But Manny and Beasley, be that as it may, they're, 30, they're older than 30 years old. They're here to stay. And Gabe Davis is pretty much this year's version of Darius Slayton. Yeah, and if you can even the second for him, that is beautiful. Um, and then and then Diggs, the actually really good wide receiver on this team. You're not getting the fantasy production out for, but everything else that we look for in the wide receivers there, he's got a high target share. His yards per team attempt are still, uh, if I look here, they're still above uh, two. So we're look or it's one point five, sorry, which is still pretty good for Stephon Diggs. And not just that, he's just not getting the touchdowns just yet for an offense that is going to throw a lot of them, it looks like. Um, so don't worry on Stephon Diggs. He's still going to be a wide receiver one. This offense throws a lot, and he's got a high target share. So touchdowns will come. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and then Allen and Diggs aren't connecting on some deep balls. The target share is there. The volume's there. He'll bounce back. If someone's panicking, I don't, I'm not sure why they would. He hasn't been horrible, but if someone's selling him, he's definitely a buy. Definitely. And then moving on to the bad news bears. <laughs> Justin Fields had one of the worst games I've seen in quite a while. Completion percentage overexpected of negative 28 is the lowest in a game since Nathan Peterman in week one, 2018, per at Seth Waller on Twitter. And one of the good things about having one of the worst games over the last three years is that you really can't get worse. So I'd expect this offense to bounce back from their absolutely dismal performance uh last sunday and for that reason you shouldn't panic on alan robinson he's still earning a good amount good target share he had a 30 percent target share last week even in the bad game and he's been an alpha since he was since his second year in the league when he finished as like the wide receiver six and so if someone's panicking this is a player that people are actually panicking on and wondering if they should sell because the offense looks so bad but the thing about bad offenses is they have good games they eventually bounce back and as bad as the Bears were, it probably can't get any worse. So Allen Robinson is definitely a buy low here because he's still seeing a good alpha target share. Yeah, uh, definitely. And everything else is there with Allen Robinson. It's just offense has been so bad, like you said. And uh, Fields just isn't being used in the way that he probably should be. But it, he's a rookie. He's going to have terrible games like this. You wrap that up perfectly. But on the other side of another route, it's uh, it's Cleveland. Um, Odell came in and absolutely ate, which doesn't surprise me in the slightest. He had over a 30% target share and 
over a 2.4 um, yards per team attempt, which is really good. And then it's your first game back from a major injury. I would say that uh, we absolutely love that. So there's probably a few more weeks. It depends when like the fantasy production really comes. You had 13 points without a touchdown, which is great near floor to have. So um, if Odell is still out there and he's going for really cheap, definitely scoop him up for even if you're paying wide receiver 30. And I think he's ranked even closer to like wide receiver 45 price. So anything like that, you just scoop Odell up for. Um, and then the rest of this Felton looks like an RB that's worth worth stash at the end of the bench. He's getting the receiving usage and he's got a higher target share, which isn't that hard than Nick Chubb. And he's at a 10%, which even if you're not getting the, the rushing share and you're being used out the as a receiver in the backfield, we absolutely love that. And for someone who cost nothing and costed nothing to get we'll definitely take that from felton and if something happens like we say with these running backs he's someone that you want and then this is your typical chubb game um he had all the rushing share and pretty much and then kareem hunt took over in the receiving game which gives kareem hunt better days this kind of goes to the targets are better than rushes because it shows right there and then the last piece is Donovan Peoples-Jones is another off-season darling for everyone out there, and he's he's not going to be anything. He's just as much of a thing as Rashard Higgins is, and it's a run-heavy offense. So someone as low as Donovan Peoples-Jones, you got a 5.2% target share on a run-heavy offense. That's, that's nothing. And I will say, returning to the Bears, something interesting, Cole Komet in the bad offensive game had little production because the whole offense was so bad, but... He played 96% of snaps and had a 20% target share. His week two was bad, but I believe he had similar uh, usage and target share in week one. So if this offense can figure itself out, I could see Komet breaking out from the waiver wire fodder tight ends and redraft to the maybe I start him tight ends. So maybe if you have a deep bench and you're looking for tight ends, he's maybe a guy to uh, consider, even though tight ends really don't matter after the elite guys and then i I didn't get to cover the running backs but monty played 83 percent of the snaps and had 100 percent of the opportunities so at the beginning of the season there was concern that damian williams was like stepping into tariq cohen's role but that didn't look to be the case last sunday so it's good for monty that he's seeing more of the receiving opportunities because that's really what you need to be what Monty was at the end of season last year. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add on to your Allen Robinson point. It, he's definitely a buy low. I actually I heard some today where James Robinson was being offered for Allen Robinson. And if you're getting Allen Robinson, you take that. You're just you're buying low on a really good receiver who's proven that he's really good and an alpha and an offense and is still proving it. The offense is just so bad. And that's where it's talent over situation, 100%. Moving on to the Baltimore Ravens. I said this in back-to-back weeks. Lamar continues to impress through the air and through the ground. He was throwing deep all game. He had set around 17 air yards per attempt, which is deep targets galore, which you love for fantasy because those targets are the most valuable. So when you're not passing a lot like the Ravens, typically do deep targets are what you want for fantasy success because it takes a lot less of them to make a player viable and speaking of deep targets uh hollywood brown dropped a couple deep probably would be touchdowns which definitely hurt his day but he's been productive so far throughout the year and even with the drop touchdowns it's still he's he's still intriguing because he's been playing so well but i expect him to get alpha by rashad bateman when bateman returns and then mark andrews finally has a good fantasy football day seeing some of those deep targets himself he had a he had a 25 percent target share last year so in weeks one and two it was kind of surprising to see him at 17 percent and 20 percent but he was back up to 26% last week. So there shouldn't be any panic for Mark Andrews back to being his normal self. And something interesting, something interesting is that while it sucks that J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards had the injuries that they had, these injuries to the running backs has forced the has caused the Ravens to pass a little bit more. And so they have a neutral pass frequency of around 51% right now, which is higher than like the 44% they were over the last couple of years. And instead of being dead last, they're closer to the middle of the pack. So that's good for the receiving options, especially when Rashad Bateman returns and makes that offense just a bit more crowded. And Tyson Williams kind of disappointing after last week, we said he was probably going to see a good amount of volume for the rest of the year. He disappointed 
disappointed, only having around 38% of the running back opportunities. But if there was more prior production with a guy like Tyson Williams, it would be easier to say, okay, he'll bounce back. He normally does, but there's no prior production for Tyson Williams. So I have no idea if this is a sign of things to come or just an outlier game. So it's really just wait and see with him. Yeah, I think you can probably take your victory lap on selling Tyson Williams, which is is a usual end scenario when you trade these non-productive in the past or no productive profile running backs for picks because one's actually stable and the other one's not. And usually the one that's not stable fizzles out for the most part. Um, and then looking at Detroit in this game, DeAndre Swift has been the wide receiver one for for the Lions, so who would have thought that he's just under twenty percent target share? I mean, if we were we were comparing this guy to Alvin Kamara, I mean, this is this is smash Alvin Kamara right here, just young Alvin Kamara, just under a twenty percent target share. He he's splitting the touches in the backfield with Jamal Williams, which we don't even need to care about because DeAndre Swift's floor and ceiling are both so high because he catches all these passes and Jared Goff's is giving it to him. So yeah, rest of season, DeAndre Swift's a top five running back and in Dynasty is a top three running back. It's, it's, it's just amazing to see after all the times we hyped up DeAndre Swift over the offseason. It feels good to take our victory laps. Yeah, and it, it really didn't take long whatsoever. And then for TJ Hawkinson, this was about the exact opposite game that you wanted from another Lions weapon because he only had two targets this game. He got out-targeted. Well, everyone got out-targeted by Khalif Raymond for some reason. But TJ Hawkinson, rest of the season, he's a, he's a top-five tight end. His target share is still 17.5% on an offense that is passing a decent amount. So They're being forced into a lot of pass-heavy game scripts. And I don't see a reason why the game script won't continue to be like that. They're just not a good team. Um, but he'll, he'll bounce back. He's just not in that tier. And Jamal Williams is actually a solid option as like RB3, very cheap. He's he's seeing 11.7% of the targets, though, like we said, is going to have a lot of throwing or a decent amount because they're being forced into it because they're just that bad. They have to pass. Um, and when you get all these passing yards, that's definitely something that, that you should be taking with Jamal Williams because he's eating a good amount of the targets. And then for Khalif Raymond, who got to eat all these targets in week one with over a 30% target share, he probably won't do this next week. It'll It's going to be a random wide receiver is what we feel. But yeah, if, you, if you're picking up Khalif Raymond as redraft at the end of your bench that that's cool he probably won't do this again he's a beta who's never done anything and is 27 years old so there's probably not, uh, not much upside for him but yeah good week for him and uh, moving on to the indianapolis colts game with or without properly working ankles carson wentz continues to play poorly his completion percentage over expected was around negative 12 and he has around the third shortest a dot in the league amongst QBs, so he's checking down a lot, and then when he passes down the field, he's not doing it very well. JT rushed well, but since week one, he hasn't really been a factor in the passing game. 8% target share last week and 3% in week two, which is tough because he had around 20% in week one. Everyone was getting excited about that, but Hines is definitely a factor in the receiving game at a 17% target share. Should be a good RB2 or 3 for the rest of the season. Wentz overall passing more to running backs than both, both the games where Hines and JT had more targets was a game that Wentz didn't leave early. I'm not sure if there's anything there because Wentz only missed like five snaps, but Hines and JT should be solid receiving options. I expect JT's target share to go up a bit over the course of the season just because he's a kind of back who we know has some receiving upside not as much as Hines but it's not zero and then Pittman he may become a thing I don't know his profile I didn't like his profile over the offseason but he has a 30% target share in back-to-back -back games which is really good and I hope that I, I I hope to see more of this because if Pittman hits uh, his high percentage outcome he has a terrific ceiling because he's a 6'4", 225-pound alpha. So if he can actually become good, then he would be terrific in fantasy with likely wide receiver one upside. Yeah, and because he's such a big body, if he's actually good, that that uh, does a lot for his upside. Um, so 
Yeah, and uh, just one more thing, hitting on the JT thing. Like you said, his his targets, he's not going to eat none. Uh, Naheem Hines will finish the higher target share just like he has with every other running back his entire career. He's just that guy that they trust in those passing situations. Um, but JT, his profile says he'll probably be around 12 13% hopefully, which is just great. You'll get that back-end uh, RB1 production. But his rushing is so good, he can uh, – he can scratch off big plays, which brings his upside up to like mid RB1 just because of how good his profile is. But looking at Tennessee, AJ Brown got hurt with a hamstring injury, so he'll be sidelined probably at least a couple weeks. We haven't really heard much on it, but this just means that Julio's finally going to get his target share above 20%. He's going to eat. The next best option on this team is Chester Rogers and Derrick Henry. So there's no really anyone else to compete. Tannehill hasn't been that bad. He's top 10 in PFF passing grade this year, but Julio's with AJ Brown is going to eat. And then AJ Brown, people are starting to panic and I've seen his, his value start going down. So that's definitely something to monitor because we know how prolific AJ Brown is. And that's definitely a talent that we buy regardless of injury scare or his situation hasn't been great because of the low pass volume, but you buy talent, and AJB is top-end talent. Got nothing to add. Move on to the Los Angeles Chargers game. Last week, I said, uh, this is a quote because I went and rewatched the the video from last week. I said, he's playing well in reality. A little bit better luck in his fantasy fortunes will turn around very quickly. Said that about Justin Herbert, and Herbert definitely did turn his good reality play into good fantasy play with a 30 fan point game in fantasy this week had four touchdowns went absolutely off he should continue to produce well because he has two alphas now now that mike williams is getting into a lower dot role and playing really well and a terrific receiving running back and herbert right now is top 10 in completion percentage over expected he's playing well he has terrific receiving options i have no reason why he can't be terrific for the rest of the season keenan allen is back to being the alpha in this offense with a 34% target share last week, but Mike Williams had a couple big plays, uh, turned into touchdowns, made him have a complete blow-up week, and Austin Eckler continues to be PPR goodness, 17% target share, and 63% of the running back opportunities. One of the safest floors you can get at running backs. Yeah, any receiving like that is a safe floor, like you said, and I think this offense is just going to be great for fantasy football this year. You hit on the Mike Williams point. His role's changed. His ADOT's getting lower, which makes him very good, and he's collecting a lot more targets, which helps us a lot more in fantasy football because you get a lot more points from targets than you do deep targets. And then for Kansas City this game, Kelsey just proved that he's the alpha in this offense, and he's so good. He's It's hard not to say he's the tight end one in Dynasty even because he's just so he has he has a 15 point fantasy football floor that he doesn't hit a lot he i saw this stat i i'm not going to quote it because i don't remember it exactly but it went most games above 25 or most percentage of games above 25 points per game in ppr fantasy football and the second closest had 33 percent of their games over it travis kelsey was up near above 50 percent. that's how good travis kelsey is he is insane. He hasn't dipped below 15 points since, I believe, week six of last year. And since then, he's only dipped below 20 twice, which is ridiculous. Kelsey is in the prime of his career at 31. So there's a good uh, argument to have him as your dynasty tight end one because he's just now hitting his prime. Yeah, and he's one of those guys that's in a position that has basically none of those guys. So you get such an advantage there that it's hard not to rank him tight end one in Dynasty because he's so good at a position that doesn't have very much good in it. Yeah. Um, and then the if we want to go the opposite of how we're feeling about someone, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's had a weird three weeks. We if, if you would have told me at the beginning of the season that his target share would be below 5%, I wouldn't believe you. He had a 10% target share on an offense that was passing a lot. And even if we don't think Clyde Edwards Alaire's that good, because he's not, he's dominating the rushing usage. And for some reason, his target share has gone down. So the rushing share has gone up. Target share has gone down. Awful move for fantasy. And we have to believe that it'll go back up near that rookie target share numbers, just because it, it shouldn't cut in half from your rookie season. 
Yeah, definitely. Oh, and one more thing on the Chiefs. I added they put in um, Josh Gordon got reinstated, so he's going to the Chiefs. Put in $1, $0. I'm seeing like 12% target share on a good offense. He'll maybe get into the end zone a couple times, but that's not someone that you feel good starting in fantasy football. And someone in your league is going to blow a lot of money on Josh Gordon. Don't be that someone. Yeah, I agree there. And then i uh, got to move on to the New Orleans Saints. Something very, very worrying for fantasy is the Saints are not passing a lot, and they're not passing well. After a good week one, we get a, some good uh, deep touchdowns. Weeks two and three, Jameis Winston is 27th, which percentage over expected of 32 quarterbacks. And the volume has just not been there. Callaway finally did anything after you blew a bunch of fab on him to get him on your team 25 percent target share and a touchdown this opens a small sell window i guess if any he was always he was the guy i was trying to sell before the season but his value is absolutely tanked to the point where i'm not sure you can get a lot out of him and his vacated target partner in uh command adam troutman also had very little production with only one target another guy that you probably wish you got out from under him earlier but it's probably are too late now and the lower volume hurts but they're still not earning a lot of opportunities and target share and the real alpha alvin Kamara, he's this low volume is hurting him because even though he's seeing a good target share last week he had 20 weeks before he sat around even even close to 30 percent target share it's uh it hurts the total uh receiving usage which hurts his ceiling but he's turning into true bell cow pretty much by ian's uh definition he's seeing 84% of the snaps, 85% of the running back opportunities. Tony Jones Jr. is just a complete non-factor. And so Alvin Kamara, definitely not someone to panic on, even with the low volume. Yeah, and we have to also probably believe that the offense does at least get a little bit better and passes a little bit more when they get someone as prolific as Michael Thomas in there, which may shrink the Alvin Kamara target share a little bit. But there's also no one else on this team that's going to receive uh, any high percent of the share uh, in the game. And Marquez Callaway probably won't, if I had to guess. Probably will not. Um, but looking at New England, the team that got stomped in this game, uh, Myers is just proving that he is the absolute alpha on this team. He's got a 24.8% target share, and there's only one person on this team within 10% of that. And he happens to be over 9% away from that. And that's Nelson Aguilar. So Jacoby Myers is eating everything in this offense for what it's worth. And they did throw a lot. They threw over 50 times this game. Mac Jones threw 51 pass attempts. So yeah, if they're going to throw more and they're going to be down in games, then Jacoby Myers, who's the only person on this offense eating, especially with James White down, probably has a decently high floor. And then if we're going to talk about James White going down, we should probably talk about what running back are we looking at in this offense? Because it's still not Damian Harris, in my opinion. Damian Harris is still going to take a lot of the backfield carries because he's a good running back, but he's not a good running back in the receiving game, which is what we really care about in fantasy football. And with Bill Belichick's offense or Josh McDaniel's offense, they had someone like James White who would go in and do all the receiving work. And they also had someone like Rex Burkhead that would do that. And I believe they'll still find someone to do that because they don't want Damian Harris, who's never been a good receiver, do that. And if I had to guess, it's Brandon Bolden because he actually went in this game and took the most running back targets. And you can argue, well, he's over 30 and versus J.J. Taylor. But they both have no value. So let's take, let's take the risk on the guy who – well, not even a risk. It, they're free. But let's take the, the – the waiver claim on Brandon Bolden because he was the one that came in and caught the passes. It wasn't JJ Taylor. I would say probably on the opposite side that you should, if you're in dynasty, look at JJ Taylor, just because the upside is higher. If he can turn into the next James White, I guess, because he's a younger player with Brandon Bolden, you're really getting a guy who will probably have little relevance for a few weeks. JJ Taylor can become the next James White. He'll probably have, some relevance for a few years so i'd probably lean jj taylor in waiver claim just because of the upside since brandon bolden's so old but for if you're looking for short-term value it's probably brandon it, it it's probably brandon bolden yeah and the odds also of jj taylor being james white's probably very little mm -hmm. 
Yeah, really nothing to add. Moving on to the Atlanta Falcons game. Matt Ryan, the uh, throwing short stuff, has got to stop because the offense is completely suffering from it. He has the second worst ADOT in the league at 4.6, which is absolutely horrible. And it's only worse than Andy Dalton's. So both those offenses are suffering. For Atlanta, Calvin Ridley's 31% target share. Still not his target share is still not truly manifesting itself into points the way it did last year because the offense is doing so poorly. But he reestablishes himself as the alpha of the offense over Cal Pitts, who had a down week around eight percent target share, playing more like a rookie tight end. And then the running backs every week, Cordero Patterson, Mike Davis's opportunity shares get closer and closer. It was um. 47% this week for Patterson and 53% for Mike Davis. Both are being used as receivers out of the backfield, and Patterson has uh, some PPR upside. Both could be could end up as RB2s at this rate if they continue to pass short and pass to the running backs. Yeah, and I mean, we, we knew this about Kyle Pitts, that rookie tight end games were going to happen as prolific as he was, so... It, there's no reason to panic because we knew it. We're just acting shocked. Um, and then as for the Giants in this game, if you would have told me Colin Johnson out-targeted Kenny Galladay, I would also probably refuse to believe you, but that's just what happened this week. Um, but someone who did tie the target share lead or the targets lead in that game with Colin Johnson was Saquon Barkley. They both had 20% of the targets, which if you're a running back is really freaking good. And we know that Saquon is really freaking good. So your opportunity to buy low probably just went out the window if there was an opportunity because Saquon's generational back that's going to continue to be a high-end RB1 the rest of the way, as bad as this offense is. Um, Shepard and Slayton both went down. Um, I don't know what the, the injury outlook on that is. You'd like to believe that Kenny Galladay would, would see a little tick up in targets, but Colin Johnson out-targeted him this week, so we shouldn't feel feel great about really anyone not named Saquon Barkley in this offense. And then just hit on Daniel Jones. Uh, he had the best week two of his career with a 90.7 passing grade for PFF, which is the best game he's ever had. And then the other two weeks, he's at 70.1 and 71.9, which is around two Daniel Jones is. So. Yeah. And then Saquon's probably the only relevant player on this offense, but Evan Ingram with a 20% target share in his first game back from injury, he's not going to be super relevant, but he'll be a decent starter all year in the wasteland that tight ends are. And if I'm looking at tight ends, even in an offense this bad, I'm looking for a guy who's going to see targets over a guy who's going to rely on lucky touchdowns. And his role could uh, be solid, uh, especially depending on the severities of Shepard and Slayton's injuries. Yeah, most definitely. Moving on to the Cincinnati Bengals game, Joe Burrow is playing so well right now, but the offensive volume isn't where it needs to be. They're dead last in neutral pass frequency, which sucks. And if I had to explain it away, I would say that they're sort of easing Joe Burrow back from his inj injury, trying not to do like try to lean on the run to make sure he doesn't get hurt again. That's really the only explanation I have because for the first years of Zach Taylor's tenure, they were one of the most pass-happy teams in the NFL, but Joe Burrow is playing well in reality right now with the eighth highest completion percentage uh, out of all the QBs this year. So if the volume turns itself back on, you're looking at a guy who can become a QB one and a guy that you should probably be looking to buy right now in Dynasty if someone's worrying about this because he's not producing a fantasy, but he's playing really well in reality. And then Jamar Chase continues to make big plays especially with T. Higgins out. He's up to four touchdowns on the year. His value continues to skyrocket, and Boyd without Higgins, probably a serviceable starter, but when Higgins plays, Boyd's pretty much irrelevant, and Mixon continues to dominate running back opportunities around 25 opportunities per game. So if he sees a few targets and falls into the end zone, he'll have a good week, and if he doesn't, he'll have an okay week. That's pretty much how he is and how a lot of running backs are. Yeah, and I just want to add, T. Higgins is still the wide receiver you want rest of the season. Um, Jamar Chase is doing really well, but one, T. Higgins didn't play, and Jamar is relying on the touchdown right now. He's still third in target share, and I love Jamar, but he's just not there to be the best Bengals wide receiver in a room with T. Higgins 
just yet. So yeah. for what it's worth. Definitely. Um, and then goes on. Chase will get better and better. But right now it's Higgins as the alpha that you want rest of the season. And then for Pittsburgh this game, uh, this is just to add on Big Ben, just to add insult to injury because it's clear how bad Big Ben's been. I looked at the PFF passing seasons that he's had over his career. His three worst ones were his rookie season, 55.9. Two seasons ago, he had a 49.5. And this season, in three games, he's sitting at 54.8. So if you didn't think it's over for Big Ben, it's probably big. It's a probably over for Big Ben. He checked down to Najee Harris so much, and you may think, oh, this is Najee Harris is really good. Look at look at that target share. Well, the weird thing is he he had a 20% target share, yet this wasn't even his best receiving week according to PFF. He had a 59.7 this week. So he's going to be terrible with efficiency, but have a ton of volume because with Big Ben running this offense, the ball is just not going downfield. The eight, his A dot is at a career low even lower than his rookie season. So that rest of the season, Najee Harris is an RB1 because of Big Ben. So kind of almost like Deontay Johnson. Yeah, with uh, Deontay Johnson out this week, Najee Harris turned into what we all know Deontay Johnson is, the funnel of the offense, which was hilarious to see because everyone was screaming about how good of a PPR back Najee Harris is going to become. Whereas if you look at the PFF grades, for example, he wasn't terrific. He just saw a bunch of checkdowns. Yeah. And then one more thing from this game that ended up hurting Claypool, who still went off this game. Claypool literally commanded a 25, over a 25% target share this game. And his yards per team attempt were 1.66. For seeing that much in a game, that, that doesn't scream oh, I saw a ton of targets because they weren't as valuable because Big Ben just wasn't hitting him downfield. Definitely. His uh, accuracy downfield has been absolutely horrible. It's killing Claypool's value. When he's getting force-fed deep targets, but Ben can't convert on a lot of them, it really hurts the upside for Claypool, who we know has terrific upside from his blow-up games last year. I actually think that Claypool is pretty good. That's going to be capped in this offense, and I think Najee Harris is not that good, whose upside's going to grow a ton this season so it is funny how this pittsburgh offense has worked very ass backward offense for fantasy football moving on to the arizona cardinals kyler murray throwing very well through the first three weeks of the season he's third in crucial percentage uh over expected throughout the season the offense just continues to click james connor salvages his day by falling into the end zone a couple times but chase edmonds continues to be the back that you want because he's seeing equal or some of the weeks he's seen equal rushing opportunities some uh weeks you see more rushing opportunities and he's the receiving back there so his opportunities are way higher especially in weighted opportunities but rondell moore is playing less snaps than AJ Green and Christian Kirk. So probably not a viable starter until we see those snaps go up. But we saw him be efficient in the first two weeks on limited snaps. But it's really more of a long play with Rondan Moore because Kirk and AJ Green are not playing horribly. So I think he just, Rondan Moore continues to come in on design plays and wow, four, four receiver, four wide receiver sets. But Rondale is more of a long play, not a really startable for now in redraft until the snaps go up and going to chalk nukes bad game up to playing injured he's gonna he should eventually reestablish himself as the alpha in this offense because of his years and years and years of elite production over the last few years the only person in the entire nfl who's been better at commanding targets has been Devonte adams nuke nuke is not the kind of player who's just gonna seed targets to guys like AJ Green and Christian Kirk. Eventually he'll bounce back. Yeah, good players who are really good are probably still really good. So, uh, Jacksonville, on the other hand, has not been really good. Uh, I do want to say this about Trevor Lawrence. If you if you believed in the generational talent of Trevor Lawrence, three games of his rookie season should really mean nothing to you. Um, I guess you could you could be like, oh, he didn't start out exactly how I wanted, but Either did Peyton Manning, um, either did Andrew Luck. So it's not it's not exactly like the end of the world for a generational talent. So he could still be that, and he probably still is. Um, as for the rest of the offense, because he hasn't been good, it just hasn't really been good for for Lavisca for sure. Who's who aside from bad QB play is sitting behind Marvin and Shark 
in target share. He's only got he's got under ten percent of the air yard market share, and his A dot sitting at five, which the A dot thing was the scary thing in the offseason, and it's it's gone down since last season from a six plus to a five, just is not great. Um, his receiving grade was worse his rookie season, so he's someone we're holding but not buying. Yeah, I definitely agree. And then Alpha, Alpha Marvin is probably a wide receiver too this year if if it's going to keep up because it's not totally outrageous to see that because we saw Alpha Marvin in Detroit with Kenny Galladay actually. So he could be a wide receiver too rest of the season. Yeah, James Robinson uh, escapes the early season scare of splitting work with Carlos Hyde and goes back to dominating the offense because Carlos Hyde is just a guy literally a Jag playing for the Jags and then adding Dan Arnold, which was a hilarious trade because I didn't expect to see Dan Arnold's names all over headlines when I woke up one morning, but I've been stashing in, in some leagues, but this probably doesn't do much. She'll probably be the fourth option of the offense and third in air yards since Visca sees no air yards. He he does work down the field. I'm not sure his career A dot or what his A dot was in the past few games, but I know he works downfield, so there's maybe potential for some splash plays, but probably not not a guy that you want to do anything with except stash in Dynasty. Definitely. I'm with you there again. Yeah. Moving on to the uh, New York Jets. Corey Davis reasserts himself as the alpha, but bad QB play is absolutely hurting every, everyone right now. Corey had a 30% target share, though. So I expect some I, – I'm pretty sure their schedule eases up a bit after the gauntlet that they faced over the last couple of weeks, so – Expect a good bounce back from Corey Davis. And then Elijah Moore, he's sitting at, he had an 18% target share last week. He isn't playing the majority of snaps, which is weird, but there's a few things we could track that up to. I think he'll sort himself out in the long run. And as the offense gets better, he'll get better. Then Ty Johnson, Michael Carter Jr. continue to split. And neither of them is really usable for fantasy right now. Carter's probably the better receiver, but Ty Johnson just got fed a few more targets last week partly in garbage time and zach wilson throwing badly but like same point as trevor lawrence you don't want to hit the panic button just yet he's faced some tough teams really just wait it out and see if you believed in him there's no reason why you should give up after three tough games which should be the the mo with all these rookie quarterbacks if you believed in justin fields pre-draft or during the draft or after the draft you shouldn't have a reason not to now same with same with uh, Zach Wilson, same with Trevor Lawrence. They're good prospects and they're quarterbacks. So you should, you won't be blessed with the rookie straight up success like Justin Herbert or even Joe Burrow that we've we've seen in recent years. So those, those years absolutely spoiled us in terms of QB play. Most definitely. So you shouldn't you shouldn't have your hopes. I get that you got your hopes high because Trevor Lawrence is a really good prospect. They're all good prospects. So. Just be patient. They're they're a standard rookie quarterback, it seems like, and they're not the outlier of rookie quarterbacks that Herbert and Burrow are that, like Kosh said, have blessed us over the year. And then looking on to Denver this game, Melvin Gordon's still been pretty good, which sucks if you have Javante, but you just got to wait for the breakout because it's another good prospect at running back who this season or this last game saw above a 16% target share, which is awesome because – we think he could be a good receiver uh, out of the backfield, and he just hadn't yet, and we saw it this game. So there are strides that we're liking to see with Javante. He has a high uh, evaded tackle rate, which is another thing that we like to see out of running backs. So Melvin Gordon's still there, but Javante is really good. So before the breakout happens is the best time to buy because he's good. Um, as for K.J. Hamler, on the other hand, he's, his leg does not look too good toward the ACO which means that the Denver is down another member of the wide receiver crew, which makes Sutton, who we already think is good, and Teddy Bridgewater is playing good. We already think that connection will be even better and maybe even get uh, Corlin Sutton above a 25% target share, which he was above 24% his second year before he got hurt. So we, we believe in Cortland Sutton, and he'll be there. So he's most definitely the guy that we're buying low on in this offense. But we can also buy low on Noah Fant who disappointed last game, but we know he's pretty good. He he has a target share of 18.3 this uh, season, and last week we saw it below a 15%. It was actually at 12%, which isn't great considering Jerry Judy was down and we're hoping for these big weeks from fans. So I still believe it'll come. Don't panic. 
because Noah Fant is a good tight end. Yeah, moving on to the Miami game. Miles Gaskin is a redraft buy, but probably a dynasty hold. Redraft buy because he's seeing six, he saw 68% of the uh, opportunities last week and 13% of the target share. That's pretty much what he's been at all season. He'll fall into the end zone a couple times. He'll catch a few more dump-offs sometimes. He has a good PPR floor. But in dynasty, you really want to hold because I really think this is a backfield that adds over that adds a big name over the offseason. They wanted to do it last year when they wanted to when they were pursuing Aaron Jones before Aaron Jones resigned with the Green Bay. So probably a dynasty hold. Mike Gesicki, who I thought was bad at football, apparently has not bad at football anymore. Just kidding. But he had a 26% target share. He had a good day. Waddle got turned to LaVisca Chenault, apparently, with Will Fuller back. His ADOT was three, which is absolutely horrible, but he just got fed with some short targets, and it led to a decent PPR game. And Will Fuller, unfortunately, is more of a deep ball role. His ADOT was around 20, and that's not conducive to fantasy success because we saw it's like Houston, when Will Fuller was in Houston in 2019 versus when Will Fuller was in Houston in 2020. If he works shorter, like we're seeing with Mike Williams, he's going to earn more targets. He's going to be a more stable week-to-week asset, and he has a higher ceiling. But 2019 Fuller still had big games. He was still usable for fantasy. He just didn't have the same ceiling or floor that Will Fuller would have if he worked in a more in a better in a role more like 2020 Will Fuller. Yeah, so we we hope for change in the A dot a little bit there, so we can get the really good Will Fuller that we want to see in Miami. So hit that on the head, and then Las Vegas is somehow three and zero, and I really couldn't tell you how because I don't know. I'm not here to assess real football. I'm looking at fantasy football, and Brian Edwards is buried in this offense, so that is not good. If you have Brian Edwards and you are kind of a believer and you're falling off the bandwagon, absolutely fall off and sell for. Really someone who might think he's actually pretty good because he's getting out-targeted by Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Henry Ruggs, Kenyon Drake. I mean, you're seeing him late, and now people think because he's seeing these targets late, he's really good, and he should be getting fed this more, but he's just not earning them early. So Brian Edwards is absolutely someone, if you're not off him now, you should get off him because we just his outlook is not great. But someone's outlook who is great is Darren Waller, and we just saw his floor of 10 PPR points, and that's probably about his flo- uh, floor. He's going to have crazy high target share, I'm sure. This season, we already saw the 19 targets in week one. He probably won't do that again, maybe even his career, but it's not unrealistic to see him at that 30% when the other options just aren't as good. And he's already at 26% target share right now, which is really good, and it wasn't even that good of a week. So, And Henry Rugg, speaking of other options, He's been better than last year, which is good to see. He's at just below a 15% target share, which is much better than his rookie year. But people are mistaking this this better than rookie year for, okay, well, now we're seeing the, the first round upside of Henry Ruggs because he's getting better. And we're seeing his value rise because that when I when I look through comps and I comp this season and last season, the closest player I found to him was Brian Hartline, who had a couple, couple wide receiver three seasons. And that's about the upside I see with Henry Ruggs. So... If you can get out from Henry Ruggs for some decent value, I would absolutely suggest it. Yeah, especially with the rising value. And then Peyton, uh, running back splits. If Jacobs is out, I really don't know what to say because last week I say, can you just be the guy? But then Peyton Barber was the guy. But Barber has been just a guy for his entire career. He's a journeyman. He wasn't even on a team until a couple weeks ago. But he had a nice game in the rushing department and some healthy amount of receiving opportunities too. I'd still say Drake is better in the long run but i might start to consider Peyton barber if josh jacobs misses another game it feels gross to say it because it is because we know from years past that Peyton barber is not good at football but he was just fed the ball a bunch and we know that carries are given so if john gruden wants to run it up the gut 20 times with Peyton barber then i guess that's what he's going to do when jacobs is out just how it was yeah and there's, there's really not a sexy backfield option here. I mean, we're talking about with Jacobs out, is it Drake or is it Barber? And usually when we're doing that, it means it's probably neither. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We're moving on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brady continues to ball at age 44, which is crazy. The bad game script finally let us see Giovanni Bernard. The question is, how often will 
Brady and the Bucks, the defending Super Bowl champions, who are pretty much going to be favored in every game from here on out. How much are they going to be in bad game scripts to let us see Giovanni Bernard? Which is why I'm not believing in a lot of Giovanni Bernard going forward, even though he had a good week last week. Rob Gronkowski left early, but he'll be fine. We got to wait to see if AB's off the COVID list. And between Evans and Godwin, Evans is the alpha. He's alpha Godwin two weeks in a row now. Leonard Fournette's still the guy that you want in this backfield because it should see better game scripts. Ronald Jones only receiving a handful of carries here and there. He's unfortunately looking like pretty much a non-factor. Lenny has the receiving usage and the majority of the carries. Yeah, and like you said, this Tampa Bay offense isn't going to be in a lot of negative game scripts. I mean, we see how good this offense is. They just happened to run into a better offense this week that was the Los Angeles Rams which yeah. starts with Matthew Stafford, who I was curious how well has he been doing throwing the ball this season. And the closest season I could find on PFF to what he's doing right now in terms of passing grades was his 2013 self, where he finished as a QB uh, 7 in 2013. So it's kind of like we predicted. Matthew Stafford's going to be a back-end quarterback one, but with Sean McMahon, what we've been seeing them do, QB 7 – Seems like we're going to see a middling, maybe even QB5 Matthew Stafford. And that's that's hard for me to say when the rushing just definitely isn't going to be there. But this this offense looks prolific, especially yeah. for Cooper Cup owners who was just watching Alpha over the first three weeks. He's got uh, the third highest target share in the league, um, and it's just Alfing right now. He's at 34.7. The one thing to be a little wary of with this Cooper Cup stuff is he's had a 20% TD rate. He has five TDs in four games, which is crazy. So it's it's definitely not something that's going to hold. And even the target share definitely won't hold either, which means something has to give, and it's probably Robert Woods, who hasn't even been bad. He's still got his 20% target share. He's usually around like 22, 23. He'll probably get there. He just isn't – he's seen the one touchdown in week one. And then his yards per team attempt also aren't bad. The 1.32 could be better, but with things going to give because Cooper Cup isn't going to do what he's doing, I'd say Robert Woods is a hold and almost close to a buy because besides week three, he really hasn't been that bad. And I then on Twitter say to sell low on him because they are just obsessing over Cooper Cup. But what you're saying about Woods is 100% true. He's going to – going to work his way back up to the same target share he's had over the last couple of years when him and Cup's production, aside from touchdowns, have basically been around equal. I expect to bounce back. He is a buy just because people are starting to actually panic for no apparent reason other than he's doing badly relative to Cooper Cup when he's not even doing badly by himself. Exactly. They're just comparing a receiver who's doing astronomically good things in fantasy football. But one more thing from this game just kind of made me sad was with Henderson out, we really saw none of Jake Funk. We actually saw Sonny Michelle eat everything, which just makes me think that's what Sean McVay wants to do. He wants to use one guy and just use him, which makes me really sad for the Cam Akers shares that I had because yeah. he was going to ball this year. He was going to ball this year. It's insane. Again, see, they, Michelle didn't produce much against the good Buccaneers run defense, but if Henny misses more time, Michelle's probably a good start. I'm not sure what their next matchup is, but as long as it's not the Bucks defense again, he's probably a better matchup than last week, and seeing so many, so much of their running back opportunities, as well as such a prolific offense, he's going to see good opportunities, and those opportunities will probably have him fall into the end zone, and then when Henderson plays, he's a good start. Yeah, they're just they're giving usage, at least in the first three weeks, they gave all the usage to Hendo, and then Hendo was out, and then they gave it all to Michelle. So if you're going to get all the usage, especially in an offense as good as this, yeah, you're probably a good start. Moving on now to the CLC Hawks. Russell Wilson's playing well, but the volume just isn't there. He's second in completion percentage over expected right now. But when he's not connecting on these long touchdowns, he's really not producing as much dependency football as we know he, he can. And they've been around middle of the pack in uh, neutral pass frequency. Carson looks like a solid RB2 because he's seeing the majority of the opportunities. And then DK had an alpha-like target share with 32% target share. Completely alpha to uh, Tyler Lockett, who had he have a he had a he had a pretty bad game, but he'll bounce back. He always has some high variance weeks, but Everett's a little interesting thing for him. He finally had a decent day with 18% target share. 
and he finally relegated Will Disley to the bench a little bit, which was good because we had in previous weeks seen Disley see similar snap percentage, similar target share. So if Everett can become the clear tight end one in an offense that'll start to pass more probably, he could become a bit more than waiver wire fodder, but for right now he's still waiver wire fodder. And Tyler Lockett, he did have an injury scare this game, so I didn't actually see how long he was out, but he avoided an injury, which is really good to see. Um, and then looking at Minnesota, Justin Jefferson, just the undisputed wide receiver one, he just had a 29% target share this game, good for 26 PPR points. And Justin Jefferson on the season now is a 25.6% target share, which we consider to be very alpha. Kirk Cousins throwing the ball very well. Justin Jefferson's yards per team attempt, even if they aren't throwing a ton because we know with Mike Zimmer, is above 2.1. So the Justin Jefferson top five season is still in the works. I, I definitely believe it's going to happen. And then the opposite way of how to feel about a receiver is Adam Thielen, who's doing about typical Adam uh, Thielen stuff. He's got 22.2% target share, but he's also someone who has a 20% TD rate, which is just something that we want to want to sell. He's 30 plus. He's got a high TD rate, which makes him produce in fantasy. And now's the perfect time to just replenish a 31-year-old receiver, get someone younger, because his value is still pretty solid because we've seen fantasy production. But someone we haven't seen fantasy production from as a wide receiver is KJ Osborne, the, the dream was dead, was not a good week in any way for him. It looks like it's Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. And then we saw Tyler Conklin fall into the end zone, which is exactly what you hope for when you have basically a zero tight end thing and you plug Tyler Conklin in, you just hope that he falls into the end zone, which he did. Yeah, definitely agree there. Dalvin Cook should be back next week because he was practically game time decision this week. But once he's back... Lock, uh, locked in RB1. Madison did well in his stead, but I'm still against handcuffing your own running backs. But that's a discussion for another day. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers game, it's it's absolutely insane. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are the truth. They are. This is not a typo. Devontae Adams nearly had a 60% target share in that game, which is absolutely insane. That's one of the, probably the highest I've seen in a single game ever that I've seen. He will finish the year as the wide receiver one, barring injury. I know everyone loves to hype up Cooper Cup right now, but Devontae Adams is making his money on seeing an insane target share and an insane red zone target share, and he's not going to regress in the touchdown department like Cooper Cup is, and I fully expect him to finish the season as the wide receiver one. Aaron Jones gets more and more opportunities, and A.J. Dillon continues to be more and more of a non-factor. Aaron Jones had 70% of the opportunities last week. Should probably finish as a top five running back, probably value him close to top five for the rest of the season. Robert Tunyon has eight targets on the year and a 9% target share, which is absolutely not startable. It's just hoping he falls into the end zone. And if you drafted Robert Tunyon, this was probably something you should have seen coming. But... This is how it is. You, I guess you're stuck with him, but I would probably look for a guy who's earning more than 9% target share going forward. Yeah, and I think we both agreed before the show started that Devontae Adams is going to be the wide receiver one again in 2021. So we're definitely in agreement there. Uh, looking at the opposite side of the ball, San Francisco 49ers had a lot of juicy fantasy storylines because we saw Ayuk finally get out of what was the so-called doghouse. He finally had above an 80% snap share. He'd been sitting around like that 50%, so we finally saw him play a bunch. And so we saw Debo, Kittle, and Ayuk. And Debo was still really good. So I wanted to look at this. Uh, Debo Samuel, his rookie season, had a 7.6 A dot. His rue after that season, his range of outcomes after that season includes Michael Thomas, Jeremy Macklin, Dwayne Bowe, Cooper Cup, DK Metcalf, Torrey Smith, and T. Higgins. That's a really good list. But then in year two, on my list, yeah, that's a lot. And then in year two, we saw his A dot go to two point two, which scared me out of all this because we know with that low of an A dot or even a low A dot. They're not exactly manufacturing the same kind of earned targets or productive fantasy targets that those other guys are. But now in uh, year three, in these three games, he's gotten it up to a seven A dot, which makes me believe a lot more of this rookie Rue with all these great names. So 
Debo Samuel, someone I'm buying in this offense. Buy everyone in the offense, pretty much. They're all kind of cannibalizing each other's value, but they're all terrific players. And Ayuk, Kittle, and Debo probably aren't going to live up to all of their potential this year. But I don't. I don't. None of them will leave next year. But they're all really good players, and you should just buy the talent because eventually it'll break out in a big way. Yeah, I'm most definitely not selling anyone on here. If I'm selling anyone on the 49ers offense, it's Trey Sermon, and it's because I want to see what I can get because he's not good. In yeah. fact, this game made me feel a lot better about Mitchell, who was yeah. hurt. Yeah, not not often that you watch a game and then feel better about the running back who doesn't play at all. But Trey, yeah. Sermon, man, Trey Sermon did not play well in that game. No. And Mitchell had been dominating the ops in the first two weeks, so we should feel great about Elijah Mitchell. Yep, definitely, definitely. Zero RB savior. <laughs> yes. Philadelphia Eagles hurts. He had a, a really easy matchup in week one, but since then he has not thrown well. Uh, but between weeks two and three, he's 27th in completion percentage over expected. He is a dynasty sell because couple reasons he's not throwing well the eagles have multiple first round picks and right now all of them they have three first round picks right now and right now all of them are expected to be in the top 10 picks which puts them in perfect position to get a quarterback if they want to and jalen hurts was not drafted in the first round like a guy like sam darnold or daniel jones who even if they play terribly the team's committed to them for three years four years so and will want to hold on to them he was drafted in the second round where he's really easy to replace, like a guy like Drew Locke, who after one year of playing poorly, the team said, screw you, this is Teddy's team now. And they moved on from Drew Locke just like that. The second he started playing poorly, they just moved on. And I could see that that's something that the Eagles could definitely do over the offseason. And the game, the game, this game was really bad for the running backs. They only had three total running back carries, which was absolutely ludicrous, but it led to a good opportunity share for Kenny Gainwell because not a lot of op- running, uh, rushing opportunities, but he still had a good share of the receiving opportunities. I believe they had the same amount of targets, but he was pretty much the game script PPR back. He was in the field. He was on the field a lot once the game was getting further out of hand. And for a team that I don't expect to win a lot this season, Gainwell has some PPR value and they both have decent receiving roles, but Gainwell has a lot of check down value because a lot of checkdowns happen in those uh, negative game scripts. And uh, Devonta Smith, his production's been dwindling since week one. He only had a 16% target share, which was lower than Rager and Zach Ertz. Not great to see, but between Ertz and Goddard, they're closer fantasy, closer than people like to think. But Ertz is in a more fantasy-friendly role because he's lining up less in line. He's lining up in the slot more. He's lining up outside, out wide more. And he's not washed. He had an 18% target share last week. And I wouldn't be overly surprised if he outproduced Goddard, but it's really just pick your poison with those two. Yeah, and thankfully for me, I had Zach Ertz, who actually saved my week in best ball, and I won by two points because he decided he's going to fall into the end zone. Um, And then uh, I wanted to hit on one more thing with Jalen Hurts. Just like Najee, he's one of those buys and redraft, sells in dynasty, because the long-term value just does not look great. But in redraft where we think Hertz is probably going to be the start of at least the rest of the season. He's rushing over eight times per game, which is super family, uh, fantasy friendly to us. And then Dallas on the other end, we finally saw Zeke get some, get some receptions, which is what we needed. We need to see him used in the receiving game. He had a 12% target share, which doesn't sound like too much, but we needed something because he's sitting out at 6.4% this season. We expect it to go up just because of the volume that he's been locked into over the last few years. But it's a good offense from what it seems. Ezekiel Elliott will figure it out. He's just not that high-end RB1. We're probably looking at a back-end RB1. And then C.D. Lamb was finally not good. He'd been really good. Uh, he, he was not good at all this game. He, he only commanded about 12% of the target uh, share, which isn't very good. But he'll bounce back. He's good. He's just not that high upside player that a lot of people are mistaking him to be. He's not that actual 25-26% target share guy that, that a lot of people are projecting a year two beta to be, which just isn't how it goes. Yeah, and then um, 
if you one thing for Dak Prescott, they've passed around 26, 27 times over the last couple of games. If like it's not like it was in week one. If you're expecting Dak to pass a lot like they were in week one, I'm sorry, you're probably not gonna get that kind of volume week to week, which makes his floor pretty low. And in addition to that, a year after his big ankle injury, there's very little rushing floor or rushing upside. And so I don't think he's going to end up in the tier that you drafted him in, but he still probably finishes as a mid to low QB one just off of playing, uh, just off of throwing touchdowns and occasionally throwing a lot. But their defense is looking pretty solid, uh, way better than last year, which is now forcing him into as many negative game scripts as they need for Dak to be top five again. Yeah, he won't be top five. He's still, he's still good, and they they were pounding him, so they weren't. This was a low-end passing volume game. But, yeah, they're not going to be like they were week one where they just couldn't get anything running the ball at the Buccaneers' defense, so they had to throw a bunch. They're, they're probably going to be middle of the pack. And Dak Prescott, like you said, isn't going to rush a lot. He's going to be a good pass running, good offense. So he's not going to be that high-end uh, QB1. He might not even be the very back-end QB1. He'll probably be that high-end QB2 if he's going to have a, a medium amount of passing attempts, not too much uh, – not too much on the ground, as well as having a good offense. So, and I think that about wraps up every single game. So, if you stuck around to the end, thank you so much. You suffered through another hour of listening to our voices on the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast, but that was your week three recap. And let's go win in week four. Good luck in your week four, and thanks for listening. Have a good one.